Hi, I'm Bern Verfeldi and I will be reading Psalm 3. Oh Lord, I have so many enemies, so many are against me. So many are saying God will never rescue him. But you, O oh Lord, are a shield around me. You are my glory, the one who holds my head high. I cried out to the Lord and he answered me from his holy mountain. I lay down and slept, yet I woke up in safety, for the Lord was watching over me. I'm not afraid of 10,000 enemies who surround me on every side. Arise, O Lord, rescue me, my God. Slap all my enemies in the face. Shatter the teeth of the wicked. Victory comes from you, O Lord. May you bless your people. This is the word of the Lord. Hey, Grace242. You know that conversation starter question where they ask you if you were stranded on a deserted island, you know, what would you want to have with you kind of a thing? First of all, I never understood, was it a desert island? Was it a deserted island? Or my particular favorite, a dessert island? But you know, they ask you questions like, if you were stranded on this island, what book would you want to have? And then every Christian feels pressured to say the Bible. Well, if I was asked a similar question, like if you could only listen to 10 songs for the rest of your life, what would they be? I know that the song Teeth Breaker by the band Dens would make that list. Now, I wish that I could just play this song for you all, but that would almost certainly violate copyright laws and then YouTube would nuke this video. But from what I understand, now Paul Junius, our resident attorney, can check me on this, but in my little bit of legalese reading that I've done, I, I understand that you are allowed to do reaction videos to songs. And so we're gonna watch my reaction to the song Teethbreaker by the band Dens. Hey Grace242, Pastor Bill here. Make sure you subscribe to the channel, hit the notification bell, and smash that like button on today's video. Today we're gonna look at the song Teethbreaker by Dens, and you're gonna get my reaction to it, my commentary as we go through it. Make sure you have that Bible open in your lap because we're going to be referring to verses from Psalm 3 throughout. Let's get into the video. This is a building song, as you'll notice. Teethbreaker comes from verse 7, which we'll talk a little bit more about once we get into the song. And so the song begins right where David is in verse 1. He's surrounded by enemies. Now these next lines are going to be a reference to verse 2. The enemies are saying, God will never rescue him. So they're taunting David as they surround him. Now this is a musical theme that's going to have lyrics later on, but they're just introducing the musical theme right now. Now in the very next line, we're going to get the inspiration of the song, which comes from verse 7. This is actually David's prayer that God would punch the enemies in the mouth. And through all of it, he remains confident in the Lord. This is verse 4, verse 5, verse 6. I'm not afraid of 10,000 enemies, David says. Now this is that theme that's going to be repeated. It comes from verse 3. David says, But you, O Lord, are a shield around me. And he says, You are the one who holds my head high. This is going to be a repeated theme that leads us into the song's explosion. It's just 
gonna keep building. I'm a sucker for songs that build like this. I just keep adding musical elements. Now they got the snare. the bass strumming and when the song explodes I just this is complete euphoria for me I ascend every time that moment hits I ascend and I imagine this is what the new heavens and the new earth are gonna sound like if I could have a soundtrack to what I imagine it will be like to meet Jesus face to face this is the music that is playing for me. This just to me seems like total satisfaction, total hope, total joy. And now this is verse 7, David's repeated cry to the Lord to save him. But I love the hopeful, euphoric music in the background because it comes out of the confidence that David knows that his God will indeed save. The enemies mock him about God saving, but David knows that he will. Then they're going to leave you as the song fades out with the repeated theme of verse 3. Now Psalm 3 is the first of the Psalms to be attributed to David. And it's also the first of the Psalms to have a heading. And the heading reads, A Psalm of David regarding the time David fled from his son Absalom. David is a man well acquainted with the experience of being on the run from an enemy. Before David was king, he was on the run from King Saul. And now at 67 years of age, he's on the run from his son Absalom, who's leading a rebellion in Israel against him. The backstory on all this is that David had another son, Amnon, who was a half-brother to his sister Tamar. And then Tamar's full brother was Absalom. And Amnon violated Tamar, and so in retaliation, Absalom has Amnon killed. And fearing for what his dad might do, Absalom then flees the country for three years. And so after those three years, David brings Absalom back to Israel, but David refused to see his son Absalom for two years. And eventually Absalom finds a way to force a reunion with his father, after which Absalom launches this elaborate plan to undermine David's kingship. Absalom would station himself at the city gate, and then as people would come to the city to have their case heard by the king, Absalom would intercept them at the gate, he'd ask them what their grievance was, the people would then tell him, and then Absalom would respond to them with this lie. Let's look at 2 Samuel 15, and we'll read verses 3 to 6. Then Absalom would say, you've really got a strong case here. It's too bad the king doesn't have anyone to hear it. I wish I were the judge. Then everyone could bring their cases to me for judgment, and I would give them justice. When people tried to bow before him, Absalom wouldn't let them. Instead, he took them by the hand and kissed them. Absalom did this with everyone who came to the king for judgment, and so he stole the hearts of all the people of Israel. Having won the hearts of the people through his manipulation tactics, Absalom stages a coup. He travels to Hebron where he crowns himself king and at the same time he stations messengers all across Israel to declare Absalom the newly crowned king. And this prompts David to flee the palace in Jerusalem. David and his men leave the country crossing the Jordan River into Mahanaim. 
So while on the run from his son Absalom, David composes Psalm 3. Now I just want to pause here for a second and begin to place some tools in your toolbox for when you read Psalms on your own. The first tool concerns headings like the one that accompanies Psalm 3. We know the historical events of Psalm 3 because the Bible tells us in the heading. This took place while David was on the run from Absalom. But most of the Psalms don't have a heading and therefore it's impossible to locate them within their historical context. But this is not accidental. This is by design because the Psalms are designed to be related to. Remember last week I read that quote from John Calvin who calls the Psalms an anatomy of the soul. When we read the Psalms, our reaction ought to be one of identification. Our reaction ought to be, well, I know what that feels like, or I've been there before, or this really speaks to me because I know exactly what this is like. The Psalms are designed to be universal, part of the human experience. They are designed to connect with the people of God across all times, across all events, and across all circumstances. Therefore, by not putting a heading on a Psalm, one can simply read it and say, well, I feel that way. I mean, think about it. If every psalm had a heading, that could potentially limit the impact of the psalm on a reader. For instance, some might read Psalm 3 and they might say, well, I've never been king over Israel, so I don't know what that's like. I'm not even a king. Or some of us might say, I've never had a son, so I don't know what that's like. Or some of us might say, well, I've never had a child that's mustered a rebellion to the degree that Absalom did against his dad, so I don't know what that's like. Some of us might say, I've never had to flee my house, much less a palace. I mean, unless you consider $169,000 and 1,700 square feet a palace, but I don't know what that's like to flee my home. Placing a heading on every psalm would have the potential of limiting the reader's ability to identify with that psalm. Here's what Psalms commentator Gerald Wilson says. It may well be that the 150 Psalms included in the canonical collection were chosen precisely because they were not so tied to specific historical situations as to inhibit their appropriation and application in any day and age. It is my view that God designed the Psalms to be connected with, regardless of if they have a heading or not. So the Psalms that do have a heading, that was God's design to draw the reader into further identification with it. And for the Psalms that don't have a heading, God did that intentionally so that the reader would be drawn into even deeper connection with it. The second tool I want to give you concerns the musical nature of the Psalms. Look at that Bible that should be open in your lap and look at the italicized word that appears after verse 2, after verse 4, and after verse 8. Now in the NLT, the word there is interlude, and other translations will have the word selah. And if you look closely at the word, there's an asterisk which corresponds to a footnote. And in the NLT, this footnote reads, the meaning of this word is uncertain, though it is probably a musical or literary term. Now remember, the Psalms are poems and song lyrics. Many have referred to the Psalms as the songbook of God's people throughout the ages. The fact is that music has a way of being related to and remembered that prose doesn't. Music is far more powerful when it comes to remembering it and identifying with it than prose does. Let me just demonstrate the power of song for a second. If I say the word ironic, what song do you think about? And isn't it ironic? Well, 
course, you immediately think about our friend Alanis from the 90s. Next up on the docket for Verveldi Family Movie Night is the movie Luca. And every time I see that movie title or read it or someone speaks it, I think of that one-hit wonder by Suzanne Vega from 1987. This is why I shared Teethbreaker with you all at the beginning of this message. Because the band Dens turned Psalm 3 into a song like it was meant to be and we connect with songs on a deeper level than prose. I was on the phone with a friend of mine on Monday of this past week, and my friend is going through a difficult time, and he's got lots of challenges both on the home and on the work front. And so as I was praying for my friend, Psalm 3 was fresh on my mind. And I was thinking about all the forces that are opposed to my friend, which made me think about Psalm 3 verse 1, but verse 1 didn't enter my mind as the prose words, Oh Lord, I have so many enemies, so many are against me. It played in my mind as the song, as this. With all of the challenges that my friend is facing, he told me that he's feeling pretty depressed. And if I think of someone who's depressed, the image that comes to my mind is this image. Someone whose head sinks so low that their chin touches their chest. And all you can see is the top of their head. So I prayed verse 3 over my friend, asking God to lift my friend's head. And all the while, this is playing in my head. This transitions me to the third tool that I want to give you all for reading the Psalms. As I was praying for my friend this past week, I found language for my prayer in Psalm 3. The Psalms give us language for prayer. I mean, how many of you have ever worried about words to say during your prayer? That's something that I'm concerned about. How many of you have ever worried, what if I don't have the words to say? Or, how can I even begin to talk about this? I mean, as a pastor, I worry about those kinds of things. What if I only have a few things to say? What if I don't know what to say? What if I start a sentence, but then I don't even have the words to finish that sentence? Or what if this problem is so complicated and there's so many ins and outs and details to it that I don't even have the language to begin to speak to the Lord about this problem? Or what if it's something that I haven't experienced myself so I can't even begin to comprehend to to know what it's like to be in this person's shoes, so that makes it hard to find language to pray about this thing. I mean, finding language for prayer is a concern of mine, just like I'm sure it is for all of you. But here's the good news, folks. God's given us words for his prayer, and they're right here in his word, and there's some great ones that are here in the book of Psalms within his word. Going back to my friend, he's weighed down so much right now that even his normal routine seems like an insurmountable challenge. And I'm not a trained counselor, so I'm careful about what sort of advice I'm willing to give my friend, especially surrounding him saying, you know, I'm feeling like I'm a little bit depressed. Like, I'm not trained to address those kinds of things, so I'm very careful. But when I do go to the Lord to intercede for my friend, the words came in Psalm 3. Rather than trying to muster something up on my own, the words are right there in verse 3. Lord, lift my friend's head. Be my friend's shield. And then they're there in verse 7. Lord, rescue my friend. 
save my friend. And then I can even put an exclamation mark on my prayer using verse 8. My friend's victory comes from you, O Lord. Bless my friend and bless your people. They're all right there for me. Now watch this, watch this. Remember that whether a psalm has a heading or not, the purpose is to draw the reader into further identification with that psalm. And here's why I think that Psalm 3 does have a heading. Because we're told in that heading that Psalm 3 was composed while David was on the run from his son Absalom. So let's turn to that story. Let's go to 2 Samuel chapter 15. David and those loyal to him are fleeing from the palace in tears over the uprising that Absalom is leading. Now, look at the direction of their flight in 2 Samuel 15, and we'll read verses 23 and 30. Everyone cried loudly as the king and his followers passed by. They crossed the Kidron Valley and went out toward the wilderness. David walked up the road to the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went. His head was covered and his feet were bare as a sign of mourning. And the people who were with him covered their heads and wept as they climbed the hill. So here is the geography of David's flight. He's headed east across the Kidron Valley and up the Mount of Olives. Now, look at Psalm 3 and we'll read verse 7 and I'm going to read this one out of the ESV. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. David cries out to God for salvation in the midst of his flight, leaving the city, crossing the Kidron Valley, and going up the Mount of Olives. Now let's go to the New Testament and we're going to read what Jesus does with his disciples immediately after they finish the Last Supper. Let's go to John 18 and we're going to read verses 1 to 3. After saying these things, Jesus crossed the Kidron Valley with his disciples and entered a grove of olive trees. Judas, the betrayer, knew this place because Jesus had often gone there with his disciples. The leading priests and Pharisees had given Judas a contingent of Roman soldiers and temple guards to accompany him. Now, with blazing torches, lanterns, and weapons, they arrived at the olive grove. Jesus and his disciples are leaving the city, they're crossing the Kidron Valley, and they're headed to the Grove of Olives at Gethsemane, where they will be met by, where they'll be surrounded by enemies, Judas and the betrayers. Now look at Mark 14, verse 26. Then they sang a hymn and went out to the Mount of Olives. Let's put this all together. Jesus and his disciples are leaving the Last Supper. They're singing a hymn as they exit the city of Jerusalem. They cross the Kidron Valley to arrive at the Garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives, where they'll be met by Judas and a crowd of enemies. And all of these events are part and parcel of God's plan for salvation. And in Psalm 3, we have David leaving the city, crossing the Kidron Valley, going up the Mount of Olives, while fleeing from his enemies. And as he does so, he composes a song asking the Lord for salvation. This is why I think Psalm 3 has a heading. Because most of us have never been kings or queens. Most of us have never had a son or a daughter stir up a rebellion against us, muster a whole nation of people to rebel against us. Many of us have never had to flee our home. Some of us haven't even ever had a son. But we all know what it's like to feel like we're surrounded by enemies. We all know what it's like to cry out to God for salvation. We all know what it's like to 
sink our heads in despair where our chin touches our chest and cry out to the Lord for rescue? Some of us might even know what it's like to have a son or a daughter who rebels. We all know the feeling of anger against enemies, how satisfying it is to read David's prayer that God would slap his enemies in the face or punch them in their mouth and knock their teeth out. These are the ways we identify with Psalm 3. These are the ways that we connect with Psalm 3. In our house churches, I want to respond to Psalm 3 by taking some time to connect with it. Everyone's going to be given some time to quietly read Psalm 3, and as you're quietly reading it, you're asking yourself, which one or two verses of this psalm do I really identify with right now? Which one or two verses are really popping for me? Which one or two verses am I connecting with? And then after everyone's had a short period to be able to read it and ask this question, then you're going to go around the room and each person is going to share which part they connected with and why they connected with it. Once everyone has had a chance to share which part of the psalm they connect with and, and why, you're going to take some time to use the book of Psalms, and specifically Psalm 3, as your prayer language. You can use Psalm 3 or you can use the entire book of Psalms to pray over your people as your prayer language. Maybe there's someone like my friend in your group who needs their head lifted, so pray Psalm 3 verse 3 over that person. Maybe someone feels like enemies are surrounding them. So in that case, you might want to pray the whole of Psalm 3 over this person. You may use Psalm 3 or any of the other Psalms as your prayer language. Maybe someone feels like God has recently just rescued them from something and just brought them out of something. In that case, you'd pray Psalm 3 verse 8 over that person. Or you could find another Psalm of praise or rescue that you pray over that person. Take some time to pray the book of Psalms over your people. So quick summary, first have everyone share which part of Psalm 3 they connect with, which part they identify with, and why. And then use the book of Psalms as your prayer language over your people. I'll see you next time, Grace 242.